Good morning. Come on, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Rooftop. My uh, name is Matt, one of the pastors here at Rooftop. Very glad to welcome you here this morning. So the movie USS Indianapolis, Men of Courage, it tells the true story of a Navy, Navy cruiser assigned to deliver the parts of the atom bomb uh, to a naval base in the Philippines. And that's where the bomb was actually assembled before being dropped on Hiroshima, effectively ending World War II. Unfortunately, on its way back from completing the mission, uh, the Indianapolis was hit by a torpedo from a Japanese sub. The ship sank in under 12 minutes. 300 men went down with the ship. 890 men were left floating <coughs> uh, in, the, in the water. Of those, only 316 survived before their rescue, which took four days. The other 574 U.S. Navy personnel died from shark attacks, dehydration, and exposure. Uh, now, the movie is terrible. <laughs> it's uh, got like 9% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is ish. But it, it does have some really interesting characters, uh, including Captain Charles McVeigh, played by uh, over-actor Nicolas Cage, uh, but the, the character I really like was the one that you saw in that clip a moment ago. His name was Lieutenant Thomas Conway. He was actually the Navy chaplain on board the ship. Uh, Father Conway's tour on the Indianapolis was supposed to be his last. And when the ship went down, he made it out with the other 890. And eyewitnesses, survivors, report that, that while the sailors were waiting for rescue and flimsy, unsupplied life rafts, Father Conway swam from raft to raft, delivering rations to the sailors. He offered sacraments and last rites. He prayed with the sailors who wanted a prayer. He helped bind wounds, told men to keep up their courage, that, that help was on the way. Then he, then he would hop back in the water, swimming through sharks, oil, and dead bodies to the next raft. He did this for four days. Father Conway drowned delirious uh, before the rescue boats arrived. Survivors went on to say that they could not have made it throughout this trial without, without one another, but also without Father Conway, who gave them, gave them in the water courage to live, courage to fight, and in some cases, courage to die. I thought about Father Conway's this morning, the story as I was preparing for our topic this morning. Now, we started a new series, as you might know, last week called The One Another's. Uh, and the series is all about the, the one another verses in the Bible. Like we talked about last week, to be a follower of Jesus Christ doesn't just mean to be saved from our sin and uh, given the promise of resurrection from the dead. I mean, it does mean that, to be sure. But to be a follower of Jesus Christ also means how to, how to live in community with the rest of God's people. When we become a Christian, we are called into a new family, a new community, and we are given instructions on how to live out our faith together. Christianity is not something we can do on our own. We need one another. We need the church. And we need what the Bible has to say about how we should treat one another in this new community of faith. Now, the Bible's command in this respect is fairly general. The Bible's command is blank one another. Uh, it's a very common phrase in the New Testament, blank one another. And that blank is filled in with a whole bunch of different verbal commands, some 59 different verbal commands, uh, relational commands. Last week, we talked about what it means to love one another. 
And this morning, I want to look at another, one another command in the Bible, what it means to encourage one another. We read this command a handful of times in Scripture, as Paul tells the Corinthians, for example, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, and the God of love and peace will be with you. And as he writes to the Thessalonians, therefore, encourage one another. Build each other up, just as you, in fact, are doing. And one of my favorite verses from the entire New Testament, from the book of Hebrews, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The cure to sin is encouragement. Followers of Jesus are called by God to encourage each other. We're called by God to, to swim around through sharks, through bodies, through oil, to give encouragement to our fellow brothers and sisters. Now, what does that mean, though? What does it really mean to encourage one another? Well, the English word courage is, encourage is actually a, a fairly simple word to understand. The English word to encourage uh, literally means uh, to put courage in someone. That's what it means to encourage, to put courage in someone. Now, courage, of course, is a willingness to, an ability to do hard things, no matter how scary they might be. And to encourage someone means to help them become the sort of person to put courage in them so that they can do those hard things. For me to encourage you means for me to, to somehow put, put courage in you through, through a pat on the back or a, a song of inspiration or, or, or a, a kind word. That's the English word for courage. The Greek word for encourage is actually pretty interesting. It's a little bit more nuanced. So maybe you know the Bible's written in Greek. And the Greek word for encourage is the word parakaleo. And it's this really cool word. It can actually be translated a variety of ways. It can be translated to encourage, to exhort, to comfort, to strengthen. Uh, literally, though, the word means to call beside so para means beside, like parallel, parabola. And kaleo means to call. So to parakaleo means to, to call someone beside you. And, and it's a beautiful image of me calling you to stand by my side as, as we face together whatever you're facing on your own. So the word implies that we have less to fear when we are standing next to one another. Are you scared? Well, here, stand by me. Are, are, are you alone? Well, come here, stand by me. Has the night come? Is the land dark? Is the moon the only light you'll see? I'm quoting a song here. Well, darling, darling, stand by me. This is what it means to encourage someone, to put courage in them by, by standing by them. And we, we all need this. We all need courage. How so? Well, all kinds of ways. Life is hard. Our futures are uncertain. We are swimming in an open sea filled with sharks and enemy planes circling above waiting for rescue. We need courage. Also, faith is hard. We're, we're called to preach the gospel. 
Uh, we are called to follow Jesus no matter where he takes us and no matter what the cost might be. We need courage. Righteousness is hard. We're called to, to resist sin and not live as the world does. This can be difficult, though, to be a human being. To be a follower of Jesus Christ takes courage. And I'm not even talking about the big things. I'm not even talking about having the courage to, like, fly to Africa and preach the gospel over there. I'm just talking about getting up in the morning. I mean, sometimes it just takes courage. You get up. Anybody else just have need courage to get up in the morning? Some of us need courage just to get up in the morning. Some of us need courage because we're, we're, we're standing in front of a mountain of debt that we cannot imagine we're going to be able to pay off. So, some of us need courage because we work with really difficult people or live with really difficult people or are married to or have produced out of our bodies really difficult people that we have to deal with on a daily basis. Some of us need courage because a, a loved one is dying or we might be, and we don't know how we're going to make it. God knows this. God knows we are weak. We all need courage. God knows our situation. God knows that we are floating in a dangerous, shark-filled ocean. So what does he do? He gives us each other. That's the entire premise of this, of this series. God gives us what we need for life and faith and each other. We just have to live like that. You see, there, there is no limit to what we can do as individuals and what we can become as a body, as a church family, if we love and encourage one another, one another as God has called us to. How do we do that, though? How, how do we encourage one another? What does it look like for me to put courage inside of you and for you to put courage inside of me? Well, when I was in high school... Uh, I, I read a book, just just one book, <laughs> when I was in high school, and uh, I really enjoyed the book. Um, maybe you've heard about it. It was uh, written by this handsome chap named uh, John F. Kennedy called Profiles and Courage. Anybody else read Profiles and Courage? <clears throat> in the book, future President Kennedy, he actually tells the stories of eight American senators who had the courage to stand on their convictions, and they changed America for the better. Uh, senators including John Quincy Adams, Dana Webster, Robert Taft, and, and many others. Uh, Kennedy actually won the Pulitzer Prize for the book, which is sad and ironic because history understands that Kennedy did not actually write the book. He had a ghostwriter write it, and he never had the courage to acknowledge that. So, <laughs> Even so, I liked Kennedy's book, or whomever's book, uh, even at 18 years old, I remember reading through these stories of courageous American senators, and, and I found myself reading the stories. I found myself thinking, oh, maybe I too can do something important someday. We are encouraged by, we find courage in the courageous stories of other people. So I want to share with you this morning three profiles in courage. I want to share with you three figures who knew how to inspire courage in their friends and followers. And I want to talk about what we can learn from them as a community called to encourage one another. They're not senators, they're Christians. Two from the Bible, and one who himself found his courage in Scripture. Here's profile on courage number one. Barnabas. Now, Barnabas is one of the unsung heroes of the New Testament. He was a co-worker of the Apostle Paul's. He traveled around the Mediterranean Sea, preaching the gospel, starting churches. 
Barnabas's legacy to us 2,000 years later was mostly a result of his personality. Frequently in the book of Acts, we see Barnabas taking people under his wing, including Saul, who became Paul, uh, and even John Mark. In fact, the name Barnabas, this guy really lived up to his name. The name Barnabas actually means son of encouragement. And we see him doing just that in Scripture. As we read in the book of Acts, for example, when Barnabas is preaching the gospel in Pisidian Antioch, Luke writes, when the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed, uh, followed Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. This is Pastor Barnabas' message to his congregation. He urged them to continue in God, continue trusting, continue hoping, continue obeying, just, just continue, I urge you to continue. We all need a, a Barnabas in our life, right? We all need a, a son of encouragement who on our down days urges us to continue. Just keep on. I've had a couple Barnabas figures in my life who have served me in this regard. One of my early Barnabases was a college friend who actually helped us start Rooftop 23 years ago. I'm actually fairly confident that we would not exist as a congregation uh, but for the encouragement of, of this friend. Uh, his legacy still lingers. In fact, his name was Ryan Grice. This is Ryan Grice playing with a very young Jason Herbig. This is our early band. We're doing a little better now. Grice, as we called him, was the most encouraging person I have ever known. He was an expert at giving you courage. He could pick up if you're even slightly discouraged and just find the right thing to say in the right way so that you would continue in the grace of God. Grice knew that everybody needs a little encouragement. He did not stop himself from offering it if he even had an inclination. You know how we do that? Oh, I should, no. He didn't stop. Ryan was always ready with a positive comment or a pat on the back. And, and here's the thing that Ryan did well. He didn't just say it. He made you believe it. I remember after an early sermon, for example, I was pretty discouraged. I get discouraged by preaching. You know this. I've told you uh, my routine on Sundays. I preach. I feel dumb. <laughs> That's my routine. Preach. Feel dumb. And uh, Ryan knew this. And uh, after church one Sunday, he asked me how I was feeling. He could tell I didn't feel great about the message. And, and he didn't skip a beat. He went right at me. He's like, well, Matt. I like this, I like this, I like this, I like this. I talked to this person, they like this. I talked to this person, I like this. This is a great sermon, don't be discouraged. I'm like, okay, 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 all right, I'll trust you. Later that afternoon, I'm at home chilling out. My phone rings. I pick it up. It's Christ. He said, Matt, thought of a couple of other things. I like this, I like this, I like this, I like this. At the end of this second conversation, so it was a good sermon. Do you believe me? I said, with your persistence, yes. <laughs> Ryan didn't just say encouraging things. He made you believe them. He said them until you believe them. He knew that his work was not done until you believe what he was saying. We all need a Barnabas. We all need a Ryan Grice. Now, there are some people, they just do this really well. They were literally born sons or daughters of encouragement. They just know how to do it. They, their hearts build to beat to build other people up. But one of the mistakes that we make in our churches, one of the mistakes we make in our churches is letting Ryan Grice have all the fun. I mean, the Bible doesn't say, let Ryan Grice encourage you. 
The Bible doesn't say, let Nathan Young encourage you. It's one of our other capital E encouragers around here. What does the Bible say? It's the title to the sermon, people. Encourage one another. Everybody needs encouragement. Everybody needs to be urged to continue in the grace of God. Everybody needs to be encouraged to keep preaching, keep parenting, keep teaching, keep going to counseling, keep fighting, keep living. Everybody needs to be encouraged by everybody else. We can't have Ryan have all the fun here. This is what we all need to do. I mean, if there is someone who matters to you and who might be struggling, you need to call them. That's how this works. You can't just assume they're going to be okay. You can't just assume that it's none of your business. Their well-being is your business. They might not be okay. Call them to your side. Urge them with a couple phone calls to continue in the grace of God. You're going to want people to do this for you on your down days, right? So what does Jesus say here? Do to others what you would have them do to you. Not to be selfish about it, but give people the encouragement you you know you're eventually going to need. And if you think, well, I may not need that much encouragement, you are severely underestimating the power of life to knock you on your arse. That's profile encouragement number one. Barnabas, a.k.a. Ryan Grice. Profile encouragement number two. Paul. The Apostle Paul was Barnabas' co-worker, maybe even his boss. He wrote uh, much of the New Testament as he traveled around the Roman world. Uh, he was the one who told the Corinthians, told the Thessalonians to encourage each other. But, but the reason I'm including Paul here is because of a very specific moment that I've really resonated with over the years. A very specific moment of encouragement. In, in the book of Acts, uh, Paul has been arrested and is being taken to Rome for trial. And he's actually on a, a, a ship with a bunch of Roman soldiers. And against Paul's advice, the ship sets out during a dangerous weather system. And they encounter a terrifying storm. Everyone is afraid for their life. Uh, they all think they're going to die from starvation or that the, the ship is going to break apart and they're going to drown and they're going to get eaten by sharks. In Acts 27, in the middle of the storm, the prisoner Paul, prisoner Paul stands up to address the crew. They're desperate. Okay, anybody can address anybody else. And the prisoner Paul stands up. And he says this. He says, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. So just saying. But now I urge you, same word, I urge you to keep up your courage. Because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. He's talking to Roman soldiers who don't know Jesus. The angel appeared to me and stood, stood beside me. Stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. (laughs) He throws in some really bad news there at the end. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So basically, it's going to get worse, but you're going to be okay. 
This is Captain Paul, prisoner Paul, putting courage into his crew. Now, on what basis can he do this? I mean, it looks like they're all going to die. They're out of food. There's a storm ripping apart the ship. Torpedoes are coming. Sharks are in the water. Even Paul acknowledges they're going to run aground on some island. How can they keep up their courage? Because God told him they're going to make it. They're going to be okay. It's going to be hard, but they're going to be okay. I know that we don't, have the, don't always have the confidence to know that we're going to survive. I, I know that angels do not frequently, if ever, appear beside us in our dreams and give us every reassurance that we're not going to die. But I still think that we can have every confidence that despite whatever storm we're facing, we're going to be okay. In Christ, even to the point of death, we're going to be okay. And we need to tell each other that. When I was in college, for example, I was a, a stress ball. Still am. But imagine that times 20. My sophomore year, it's a crazy year. I had a huge class load. I was in a couple choirs. I had an on-campus job. And I'd also decided to take an internship with this uh, ministry that I was a part of. And after a few weeks, I realized it was too much. I, I had overcommitted. Uh, so I went into my, my boss, whose name was Ted. Uh, Ted is incidentally my brother-in-law now. And I went into Ted to, to quit. And I told him it was just too much. I was too stressed out. I was tired. I wasn't getting my assignments done. I had overcommitted. I needed more time. I was sorry, but, but I, just needed, I just needed to quit. And I mean, I don't quit. But I, I just I needed to. I need more time. And Ted looked at me and he said, no. I'm like, I mean, no. And he, he told, Ted told me some of the most important words I've ever heard. He said, Matt, you don't need more time. You need more courage. And he went on. He said, you can do this. I know it's a lot, but you can do this. When I look at you, he said, I, I don't see someone who's trying to do too much. I see someone who, who thinks he's drowning in two feet of water. But you're not drowning. The water's shallow. Just stand up. That quote's actually on my encouragement board in my office. You're not drowning. The water's shallow. Just stand up. I didn't quit. Didn't drown. Sharks didn't eat me. Live to tell about it. Live to tell the terrible tale of my sophomore year. <laughs> Years later, still alive. I needed someone to tell me what Paul told those sailors. You're not going to die. Motherhood, not going to kill you. Fatherhood, it's not going to kill you. Work is not going to kill you. Getting involved in church, not going to kill you. Going to rehab, not going to kill you. Cutting up your credit cards, not going to kill you. Sitting down for marriage counseling, not going to kill you. These things might be hard. You might run aground on some island, but you're not going to die. Take courage, stand up. You're not drowning. And even if you do die, guess what? You won't die. 
That's the crazy awesome thing about being a follower of Jesus Christ, right? No matter what happens to us, we will never die. So take courage, stand up, and tell somebody else. I mean, if you need to hear that, somebody else does too. Be somebody else's Ted. Be somebody else's Paul. Don't let them quit. Urge them not to quit. Imagine the world in which they quit their internship. Imagine the world in which they quit. Don't let them do it. That's profile number two. Finally, here's profile encourage number three. It's actually not from the Bible, but I thought it was appropriate and important. Uh, profile encourage number three is Dr. King. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Day. The day on which we honor the legacy and ongoing work of Dr. King. We can honor his legacy by first remembering that racism and injustice still pollute our world. We need to resist it no matter the cost. This was Dr. King's example. He faced so much. He never gave up. He faced death threats. He was attacked on stage by violent men. He was called names. He was harassed by the government. He lived in constant fear of losing his life and his family. He never gave up, even to the point of death, but he did struggle. In fact, in a sermon he gave in Chicago at a church one year, he actually told the church about it, about his struggles, and about where he found his courage. After a hard day of speaking and leading, Dr. King said, he, he once got home late at night, and he crawled into bed next to his wife, Coretta, his little girl, he only had one child at the time, was in her bedroom down the hall, and before he fell asleep, at about midnight, the phone rang. He picked it up, he heard a, a husky, intimidating voice on the other end. The voice called him the N-word, and then said this, we are tired of your mess now, and if you aren't out of this town in three days, we are going to blow your brains out and blow up your house. Now, Dr. King admitted to the church that he'd had hundreds of phone calls like this before, but for some reason, he couldn't shake this one. And he got up to make himself some coffee, sipping his coffee, he sat down at the kitchen table and, and started thinking about his wife, started thinking about his daughter. He realized the threats are real. His family could be taken from him at any moment. Within a few weeks, actually, I think his house was bombed. In this late night realization that anything could happen, he got scared. And as he told the crowd in Chicago, and I got to the point that I couldn't take it any longer. I was weak. Something said to me, you can't call on daddy now. He's up in Atlanta, 170 miles away. You can't even call on mama now. You've got to call on that something in that person that your daddy used to tell you about. He was the son of a preacher. That power that can make a way out of no way. And I discovered that then that religion had to become real to me and I had to know God for myself. And I bowed down over that cup of coffee. I never will forget it. And oh yes, I prayed a prayer and I prayed out loud that night. I said, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right. I think I'm right. I think the cause that we represent is right. But Lord, I must confess that I'm weak now. I'm faltering. I'm losing my courage. And I can't let the people see me like this because if they see me weak and losing my courage, they will begin to get weak. And it seemed at that moment that I could hear an inner voice saying to me, Martin Luther, stand up. 
Stand up for justice. Stand up for righteousness. Stand up for truth. And lo, I will be with you even until the end of the world. And then Dr. King quotes an old hymn, Balm and Gilead, as he told the church that day, sometimes I feel discouraged and deep I feel the pain. In prayers, the Holy Spirit revives my soul again. So where did Dr. King's courage from come from? His political convictions? No. It came from the Holy Spirit of God. And Dr. King actually makes an important point here. And it's a point I want to leave you with before we close with communion. I, I told you earlier that the Greek word for encourage is parakaleo. It's actually the same name that Jesus gives the Holy Spirit. In the book of John, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. He lives in you and he will be with you. Now, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit here. The Holy Spirit is the invisible presence of God who lives in us. Now, the name that Jesus gives to that Holy Spirit is counselor, but in Greek, it's paraclete. Same word. Same word for to encourage, to bring someone beside. The one who calls us beside, that's who the Holy Spirit is, the one who calls us beside, the one who gives us courage when the land has come and the night is dark. The, the one who gives us courage to keep fighting, the one who gives us courage to keep preaching, the one who gives us courage to keep living. That's the only way that Dr. King could keep preaching in the face of death threats, by the Holy Spirit of God. That's the only way that Father Conway could keep swimming through sharks to provide succor to his shipmates by the Holy Spirit of God. And that is the only way you can keep living your faith and living your life. Life is going to eat you up. Eventually, life is going to eat you up. And if life doesn't eat you up, death will. You're going to die. You're going to face death. You're going to face sharks and racists and enemies and cancer and loneliness and discrimination and unemployment. You're going to be discouraged. Deep will you feel the pain. How are you going to keep going? How will your soul be revived again? By the Holy Spirit of God, impart in our souls through each other. By calling each other late in the night to make sure we heard what they were trying to say earlier. By reminding each other that we're not drowning. By standing next to one another's side. By giving the life, giving power of the Holy Spirit to each other. By praying together over that coffee cup in the kitchen with each other and admitting to God that we are weak. When we admit that we are weak, that's when God pours his spirit inside of us. That's when he calls us to his side. That's when he gives us courage.